IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week. We review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we make our New Year's resolutions for 2021. Discussing what we want to see more and less of this year. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? <laughs> you know, Steve, a- as much as I think our listeners love our natural banter and witty repartee, I'm not going to lie. Like, I usually rehearse this part of the show, like, long in <laughs> advance and just sort of hope that nothing in between us hashing out the outline of the show and us actually recording it happens. And, uh, I think Ariel Pink getting... Busted for being at a right-wing storming of the Capitol in the final days of our president, Donald Trump, is... I think that's an event enough to upset yes. what my, 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 my planned remark. So it seems like 2021, uh, if we were wondering if it would be any real any different than 2020, I, I, I think we're kind of in the bonus cuts of 2020 right now. You know, we're, we're, in the, we, we're having the deluxe version with the B-sides and the... <laughs> And the uh, you know the mono recordings and you know the the one where maybe we let the bassist try to write his own song. <laughs> well, you know, I'm glad you brought this up because <laughs> um, you know I was uh, looking at the uh, best songs list that Pitchfork put out in 2010, which I think you probably voted for, right? You yeah. were probably a voter for that. Of course, I voted. So you, so you oh, have Ariel God. Pink number one. He's gone mega. You have Kanye West number two. He's gone mega. So I wonder, you know, has anyone checked in on James Murphy? Because LCD uh, <laughs> Sound System was number three on that list. Robin really? was number four. I, I, I feel pretty I, sure I that she, Robin's yeah. okay. She's she's like Swedish. Yeah. She's probably not mega. Well, James Murphy, yeah. I don't think he's gone mega. If he did, like, I wouldn't be shocked if he went yeah, mega. Yeah, he, he, he was kind of an asshole in his prime end. He was kind of an asshole in his prime anyway. I think that was one of the main takeaways from uh, Meet Me in the Bathroom. I don't think he's a MAGA guy, though. So, uh, you know what? Let's. I, I think he's probably just going to not do or say anything for the next five years. So, <laughs> so like, does he, like... You know, become now like the number one song of 2010, like retroactively. What about, like, dude, was it wasn't wasn't oh 2010? Okay, I thought you were talking about like the 2010s because then we could put like Grimes in there, who she's clear not MAGA, but like no, no, this is like her. this is the year oh. 2010. So like oh, okay. you know that li- so about 10 <laughs> years ago, you know, it's like the, right. this is like a, a somewhat belated 10 uh, year retrospective on that list. Uh, top two, top two are MAGA. So I, do they get DQ'd now? And does like I think I I can change is the LCD sound system track that was on that list. So is that like, is that like the new number one? Sure, on the I, I, list? It, it, it's I guess it's like in college basketball or whatever when there's like a team that like Louisville that had like recruiting violations or whatever, so they have to like forfeit the title. I don't know, man. I just think I'm I'm just glad that Titus Andronicus, the band that actually wrote an <laughs> album about the the American Civil War, has like stuck to very hard left politics. You know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they they've uh, they've kept the faith. <laughs> you know, I yeah. I hate it. I hate it when people say things like this because I think it's totally beside the point. So I'll just say that coincidentally, 
I never liked Ariel Pink. I always thought he was obnoxious. That's totally removed from what he's doing now. I'm not saying that like I knew all along that he was going to go mega. I'm not like trying to put myself apart from those who liked him in 2010. I think it's obnoxious when people do that. I'm just saying that coincidentally, <laughs> I thought he was annoying 10 years ago. So like I don't really yeah. feel a sense of betrayal or anything that he was, you know, storming the Capitol building with you know, with thousands John of yahoos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah John know, Mouse man. too. For, yeah, he, for, he was for, there. For, yeah, for me, I, I have a very distinct memory of like I think it was 2018. Uh, my girlfriend and I were in Mexico City, and we heard round and round in a uh, like a clothing store, and I like, turned to her, being very serious, like this is a very important song for my culture. And I guess <laughs> those, those memories are now sullied. <laughs> That's like the uh, the like the millennial uh, boys of summer right there. Like, yeah. And on the road today, I heard Ariel Pink's round and round. A little voice <laughs> inside my head says, "Don't look back. You can never look back." Um, so yeah, it's it's fun good segue for this show about our New Year's resolutions. That's true. Well, we're looking ahead, although we'll be looking back a little bit too uh, with our mailbag mm-hmm. question. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be back in the saddle. We've been gone for a couple of weeks. We took the holidays off. Uh, now we're back to distract people from the collapse of America, uh, which, you know, I, I feel like is an important thing to do. Uh, give everyone a little bit of a break. We can talk about fun indie rock stuff, uh, while the world burns. I think it's a, I think it's a pretty good system that we have here. So let's get into it, uh, with our mailbag segment. This question comes from our listener, Jake, and, uh, he says, hi, Stephen Ian. Hope you're doing well. I've been listening to the pod since the summer, and it's really been a bright spot this year. I've been a fan of emo music since I was a teenager, so naturally I enjoy listening to Ian's takes slash rants. Ah. But Steve, you've been also winning me over with your takes and recommendations to the point that I might just pick up a Father John Misty record next time I find myself browsing at a vinyl site. Wow, Jake, thank you so much. Uh, Now for my question... Are there any trends that took shape in the 2010s that you see fading out this year as the 2020s get fully underway? And similarly, what sounds do you see catching on and becoming more widely embraced slash influential? The 90s revival in the vein of Soccer Mommy and Biba Doobie? Hyperpop? How about the trend of barriers between genres being blurred slash erased, such as with emo rap or even with a record like Live Forever by Barty Strange? That's a great question, Jake. Wow. I, I Again, big ups to our listeners. I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times with these mailbag segments, you get duds. You know, just nothing <laughs> that you can really talk about. Well, I'm not saying like for us. Uh, I'm talking about like other shows. Oh, I think okay. for our show, consistently good Purely questions gold. from our listeners. And like, you know, you know, Jake, you, you kind of call out some trends here already that like are, are, are pretty big in indie music right now. You know, the singer-songwriter thing, the hyper-pop uh, movement and, uh, you know, as well as, I don't know if this is a trend really, but just that idea of like, you know, kind of genres becoming like one big genre all kind of melting together. Um, I think that the only answer to this question at this point, since we're only like one week into 2021 is we don't know. I mean, it's like pretty early, uh, to, you know, be saying like what the trends of 2020s are going to be. I will say there's one thing I'm curious about, which is that, you know, we're now almost a full year now, like where no one's been touring. And it seems like 2021, I don't know if tours are going to exist. I mean, with the way vaccinations are going, it's being rolled out pretty slowly. I, I don't have a lot of faith that 
there's going to be shows this year, but maybe I'll be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Um, I'm curious, like, to what degree that's going to influence the records that are being made. Like, and again, this is just pure speculation. I wonder, like, if artists who, by the way, I should say that, like, because there's no touring, I mean, one unfortunate trend, I think, is that a lot of artists won't be able to make records at all because they won't be able to, you know, survive financially. So that is something we'll just set aside for now. But for artists who are making records, are they going to be making records knowing that they can't tour? So they're going to make records that they aren't even sort of concerned about playing live. Like, are people going to be making their Sgt. Pepper or their Pet Sounds or their Soft Bulletin? Like, more complicated, more sort of studio-bound records that you wouldn't even try to replicate with a band. You know, because we've talked on the show about how there's been an ongoing trend of, like, bands kind of being eased out in indie rock and how it's really a lot of times like one person spearheading a record and then they recruit musicians to play live. But if you're not playing live at all and you don't have to worry about recreating songs, is that going to inspire musicians to say, well, okay, I'll just make a record that will just be a record that I, I know I don't have to play these songs at all. Hmm. Maybe that won't happen at all. I mean, because again, a lot of musicians are already making records in isolation, you know, so maybe they'll just continue as they're you know proceeding right now but that's just a guess that of something that might happen i don't know like what do you think ian yeah i think when we look back like i i think another point that we've made quite a bit is that the decade usually begins with the one year like 2011 2021 and um I don't think we were really able to like see how things changed until we look at it in retrospect. You know, this is kind of a two part thing where in the, in the one year we usually get introduced to the artists that um, come to define the decade ahead. Like for example, 2011, we heard the first uh, projects from Kendrick Lamar, Frank Ocean, the weekend and so forth. But in addition to that, we find out that the, the, the zero year, like 2000, 2010, 2020, usually very strong year for records, but oftentimes albums that represent kind of an endpoint for uh, the previous decade's trends. So, um, you know, I, I do think that one thing we're going to see a lot more of is maybe not so much like genres being blurred, but I think Barty Strange might be the kind of artist we see a lot more Going forward, I think that we're going to see a lot more like um, black artists operating in what might be seen as like an indie rock sort of sphere, like Quentin Brock's another guy, Kenny Hoopla, um, and just kind of um, seeing more of that. But when I think about the trends that might actually start to wane, um, when we look at 2020's big, big ticket albums, such as like Punisher or Color Theory or St. Cloud, um, this Jake mentioned that whether like that the 90s singer-songwriter trend, whether that's going to carry over in the new decade. It's possible that we've seen maybe the zenith of that and that it may not go away, but it might kind of start to ebb in the, in the way that that 90s sound did, you know, in the 90s. Um, that one seems to be like the big, big trend that culminated in 2020. So I don't think any of those artists are going away anytime soon, nor do I think like a singer-songwriter a millennial or Gen X or Gen Z or whatever take on, you know, Shell Crow or Third Eye Blind. But I think maybe that might start to look a little dated in the same way that, um, you know, in 2010, Deer Hunter and Arcade Fire would become dated in a few years. And 
uh, you know, Modest Mouse and like, you know, Sigal Ross in 2010 became kind of dated as those years go- went on as well. So, and also we have to take into account the fact that um, things are just happening so quickly that um, I think we really are in unprecedented time. So trying to speculate what might happen even two months from now is kind of a fool's errand. But we're fools, so we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think you make a good point about the singer-songwriter thing. I, I I mean, to me, like, singer-songwriters are always around. So I don't mm-hmm. see that necessarily as something that's going to go away. I, I do think that, like, the critical vogue of that could fade fairly quickly because critics tend to be like sharks where you – and what you're in one area and then you have to keep moving to something else in order yeah. to you know get people's attention. So I could see that happening. One thing I think that's a different maybe from like this wave of singer songwriters that we've seen the past few years is that they're all still like pretty young. Like like if we're talking about that indie rock wave that happened at the end of the aughts into the 2010s, we're really talking about like, you know, for the most part guys in their 30s, you know, <laughs> who like, you know, at some point, like, you're not going to be appealing to, like, kids if you're, like, a 35-year-old man or a 40-year-old man. Uh, but, you know, like, Phoebe Bridgers is still in her early 20s, you know. Yeah. Julian, Julian Baker, who's going to have a oh, record yeah. coming out in February, she's in her early 20s. You know, Lu- Lucy mm-hmm. Dacus, who I don't know if she has an album coming out this year. I would assume that she probably, probably does. Because <laughs> it's been a little while. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, in Soccer Mommy, they're all, like, pretty young. And I yeah. think it's... Fair to assume that they probably haven't made their best records yet. You know, like like they're on their second. Like, like Phoebe Bridgers has made two records. You know, like yeah. it, it, I think there's still room for like a lot of these artists to grow and to mature and to not feel like uh, they've peaked. Like I don't know if like Phoebe Bridgers has made her Halcyon Digest yet or her Meriwether Post Pavilion. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the uh, the sort uh, of uh, benchmark uh, record. I mean, we'll see. Maybe it was Punisher. Yeah. We don't know, but like. It's still relatively early in her career. Yeah. I just wonder I think- if, like, the, the sound is going to remain. Like, that's – I have no doubt that these artists will continue to make, you know, good work. I just wonder if, like, the sound will change to the point where, um, you know, they, they might be doing something, like, radically different uh, in if they are to make that version of themselves. But I think if any of them are going to make an album that's, like, better received or more popular – I mean, like how like Phoebe Bridgers was nominated for like what three Grammys or something like that. It, it's I I would love to see her top that, you know. Yeah, and again, I, and I think even like within like you know, if we're just talking about singer songwriters, there are I think different strains. Like I don't necessarily yeah. think Soccer Mommy and Phoebe Bridgers sound all that much alike. I mean, I think Soccer Mommy is more in that '80s lane than like Phoebe Bridgers mm-hmm. is, or certainly like Julian Bridge. Julian uh, Baker is like not in that lane at all. That's like no, she's not in at more all. of like sort of like emo folk thing in yeah. her thing, and and her record, um, which I'm sure we'll be talking about next month, is yeah. definitely a move towards making a more sort of lush, big sounding record than what she's yeah. made in the past, and she's been m- moving more in that direction with each record that she's made. So. Yeah, I mean, again, we're only a week into, into January in 2021. It's hard to know. Uh, but, you know, we'll be excited to find out how these trends unfold. And we'll be talking about it on IndieCast. So never miss an episode. Stay on top of all the trends, all the hashing out of trends that we do on this show. Um, it's going to be great. So let's now segue into the main meat of this episode, which is which is the New Year's resolutions. Ian and I are both, you know, looking ahead to this year and 
We don't know what's going to happen, but we have wishes for what's going to happen. Things that we want to see more of, things we want to see less of, albums that we hope come out this year. Although, again, as you said, (laughs) these are unprecedented times. So, you know, there's some artists who I know are holding records back, hoping that they can tour behind them. But if touring doesn't happen this year, you know, records are going to come out, I would assume, no matter what. So I guess we'll see. Um, let's talk first about something we want to see more of this year. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, Ian? Like, what are you hoping that you see more of in, in, in 2021? So you, you brought up that um, there are artists who might have albums already in the can who who are perhaps holding back until touring seems feasible, like you know, which could be potentially 2022 or even the end of 2021. And um, I think we're going to see a pretty steep decline in the sheer number of albums of any sort being released in 2021. Um, And I think it's possible that we're going to see, like 2020 was a really strong year that I think a lot coasted on a lot of albums that were made pre-COVID. But um, I think we're, it's very realistic that we're going to see a drastic decline in maybe big ticket pop records coming out um, or maybe not. Maybe they're the ones who don't have to tour and they can just put it out anyway. But, um, you know, in lieu of what might be an, a, a kind of a, a wild year for consensus, a wild year for, you know, big albums to gravitate around. I'm wondering, like, this could lead to two things. It could either lead to a stronger um, consensus, you know, rallying around the bigger names, or it could lead us to getting weird and going back to, like, that early 2000s Wild West sort of uh, environment where just hype bands came out of nowhere. And I'm hoping to see more of that. I call this the kind of Black Midi effect. Black Midi is one of my favorite bands of the past couple of years. Not because like I think their album is like just the best thing I've heard. I mean, I like them, but they reminded me of those bands that you would hear about in the blog rock era where they would put out their debut and there would just be so much hype surrounding them before they had a chance to become like really road tested or just approved by everyone. I think 2020 was a year of a lot of albums and artists that were, you could see it coming from a mile away. Like, you know, Phoebe Bridgers, Fiona Apple. Like if you looked at that list, run the jewels. If you look at the list of albums that were dropping, you could pretty much guess which was going to be at the top. So what I'm hoping for is, I don't know, for publications or artists to just get kind of weird with it, to take like real risks and going all in on these maybe unknown or unfamiliar type acts so we can... what what I loved about Black Midi as well is that people were kind of able to make fun of them and uh, just kind of clown on them without feeling like like that they were going to get canceled for doing so. Like they were a band yeah. that you could like love and also just kind of joke about. And it, it reminded me of like uh, the environment of like the early 2000s where you could just just kind of mock bands and like be irreverent about it. I know you had mentioned a desire to see more of that. And I don't know, like maybe we're not, maybe that's not going to be the case with bands or maybe it's going to be solo artists, but just stuff that we can look back on maybe as like, man, I can't believe we, we hyped this stuff up. Like I would love to see a willingness to just go out on a limb more often. Well, yeah. And like, you know, you mentioned Black Midi as an example of that, you know, and this is a much bigger band, but you know, the 1975 is another example of a band that like you either love them or you hate them. 
And like as someone who has kind of been on both sides of those fence of that fence, like I appreciate the 1975 as just like a fun band to write about for that reason that yeah. you said that like they're a band that you can make fun of, and they're also a band that you can like you know genuinely love and 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 stump for. And yeah, you don't feel like there's like a set narrative where you have to like sort of parrot this line or you know respond to like a single sort of idea of like what this group is there's like all these different opinions on them and it's just fun to argue about them um i'll say that like as someone who has to come up with like you know columns to write every week that like the release (laughs) schedule for early 2021 is like pretty bare of like major releases which is not unusual for january and february i mean even like in a normal year those can be uh, fairly slow although like you know there's usually like at least like a couple fairly well-known records like a year ago um was that sh- no that was sharon no that wasn't last year that was 19 i remember like sharon van Etten came out in oh. january and there were yeah. like a million features about that record and uh <laughs> so occasionally you get like someone figures out that like hey if we put out a record in january uh, by like a well-known artist, then everyone's going to write about it because they're going to be so desperate to like cover anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, it seems like there's an opportunity there, opportunity there for what you're talking about for like maybe like a smaller band that people could talk about and get excited about rather than just sort of relying on the same old uh, tentpole artists. Um, for me, like the thing I'm hoping to see more of in 2021 is just like more innovation with like streaming shows and like what they refer to in the jam band scene as couch tours where, you know, (laughs) instead of like going to see a band, you like end up streaming a bunch of their shows, like on a tour, Mm. like watching from home. And I remember even before, you know, COVID came down, this was something that I was hoping to see more of in the indie sphere, like where artists were streaming their concerts or making them available to stream and, and just being more creative with like how they were, presenting their sets, being more creative with their set lists and creating an environment like where it just becomes more fun to sort of follow a band as like a live entity rather than just it being like a way to promote their record. And I'll say like, you know, I watched a fair number of streaming concerts in in, in 2020 and like a lot of them I was kind of bored by, you know, to be honest, like mm-hmm. it just, there just wasn't a whole lot of sort of interesting presentation or uh, again not a lot of innovation like how people were presenting this but the concerts that i did see that i enjoyed i i really loved a lot like toward the end of the year i ended up uh, seeing one of the shows that the hold steady did at the brooklyn bowl they, they streamed like a three show run there and they were doing cool stuff they had like really interesting set lists they were like uh, they had like fan cams like where they were projected above the band where you could see people watching at home which was actually like a pretty like fun and like moving way to like engage like where you kind of felt like you were in a crowd even though you really weren't and that's kind of like a minor thing but it actually did a lot to like make that experience more fun um and again i just want to see more of that because i feel like again we don't know what touring is going to be like this year it doesn't seem like we're going to be seeing shows anytime soon but like even after people are vaccinated and shows come back I feel like this is like an opportunity to continue to stream concerts. I, I I really think that this is like another way that like indie bands can connect with a fan base in the same way that like, you know, a jam band does, you know, like where you can engage people where it's not just about your records. It's also about your live show. And it, I think just makes it more fun to follow bands. 
Uh, so yeah, that, so I, I I hope that there are better and more sort of forward thinking uh, streaming concerts available this year. One I really enjoyed was you mentioned like jam bands or hold steady like artists who I think gain a lot from audience interaction. Um, a show I saw uh, towards the end of 2020, which I felt was really promising, was a band, um, you know, Thursday, The Gods. I've seen them live, like, in person a few times, and it's been kind of iffy of late because, you know, either Jeff's voice, he was suffering from the flu, or they got tapped at the last minute to open for My Chemical Romance, and they were just, like, not really um, rehearsed. But they did a show, um, and where they had a bunch of guests, like they played their own songs. They played a huge mix of things like songs they haven't pulled out in 10 years. They had, um, they played Texas is the reason songs where they had Norman Brandon come in. Um, they had Barty's strange open. And the cool thing about that was, uh, instead of just like, you know, an opening back coming on the stage, playing their set, uh, he performed in kind of like a basement with a bunch of keyboards. He played uh, songs from Say Goodbye to Pretty Boy. And it was it, it was like kind of like a multi-venue sort of thing. And it felt like an actual like experience. It did offer a lot of, as you were talking about, like Easter eggs to fans. Um, and I think that's a cool way for um you know artists to engage to like to get creative with like camera angles or um, you know, like extras or things like that because yeah it's especially going to be hard for bands like you know the stuff i like for them to recreate the live experience because a lot of the jam bands i I like wonder like what jam bands that you talk about like do during their early days like when they're supposed to be traveling around the country playing night after night after night so they can get to a point where they can um you know do things with streaming, but you're, you're right in that, like what we saw in 2020 with like the camera in front of the acoustic guitar or just like the recreation of a soundstage. I don't think that's going to cut it. Um, and we're either going to see bands adapt or die to that. So yeah, that's, that, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping you're, you're right on that. And I think that bands are, they have really bands, artists, whoever, they have no choice, but to, uh, do something a bit, more outside the box so in terms of like things that we want to see less of um what i'm gonna say i i'm sure you'll agree with this i've seen you make jokes about this on twitter (laughs) it's less framing of every album or everything an artist does as a reaction to the quarantine and or donald trump and look like i'm a person i had to write a year-end list i had to write record reviews in 2020 i definitely referenced covid in my reviews and i did that because how could you not i mean it was the elephant in the room it was a huge deal it was on everyone's mind and i think you know when you're a music writer in times where music seems relatively insignificant, there's maybe like a defensive posture that you take where it's like, why am I writing about this? I mean, there's so many more important things in the world. So I at least have to acknowledge the strife that's happening outside of this like little bubble of like musical fantasy that I'm living in. So I, I understand like why that happens, but it is extremely limiting. Like when you read like every year end list or you read every record review and music writers and or or just you know pundits or even just like music fans want to frame everything as like either like a, as a resistance album or like you know this is like the record that we need because it reflects our state of mind and in, in quarantine i mean it really ties everything 
you know, all this art to like this very specific moment, uh, which, you know, art does speak to a moment in time, but I think we can all agree that like the best art tends to be, you know, sort of transcendent of its time, you know, that like it, it, that the albums that people really remember are records that like you can enjoy when they came out or you can enjoy 10 years later. And I think the best records that came out in 2020, you know, they're going to be able to be enjoyed long after COVID is, well, probably not forgotten, but hopefully will be cured <laughs> of it in 10 years. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Um, but yeah, like just that narrative uh, really just became really heavy handed in 2020. And, you know, and assuming Trump leaves, I think he's going to be gone. <laughs> we don't have to worry about him anymore. Hopefully vaccinations will take place and we can move past COVID and we can just sort of figure out something else <laughs> that every piece yeah, of something, art is about. Something else we can get tired of uh, talking about. Because, um, yeah, I think if we were to do, if IndieCast were to have existed in 2013 or 14 or whatever, it's, you know, it was like everything's a reference to the cloud and, um, you know, like how <laughs> social media. And, uh, yeah, it's, <clears throat> it, I think you're right in that, I think there's a lot of uh, framework of it. I think we're talking more about like the way music uh, is presented by writers and fans and so forth because you're right in that the quarantine and or Trump, I mean, really, what else is there? I think it, it it's hard not to feel dominated by that. Um, but that being said, you, you're right in that none of the albums that um, I think that we talked about enduring past 2020 – like, you know, like you said, Punisher, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, etc., were explicitly about those things, but um, their themes uh, were relevant to that and also can be seen as relevant, you know, going forward. We talked about that in the past episode that the, the, uh, the albums that address, you know, Donald Trump directly or address, you know, being in COVID directly – um, I have a timestamp on them. And I don't know. I think that we're, we're hoping people get a little more creative with how they frame something and also like maybe address less in the collective. Like this is the album we need, or this is the album we deserve. It's like, I, I don't know, man. I think every, <laughs> I think people should take more ownership of like when they're projecting. And actually that kind of gets into what I'm hoping to see less of in 2021. Um, you know, just kind of take a step back and, address the fact that um i work in my real life i work in the uh, i work in the therapeutic realm so yes i have read Brene brown's daring greatly um and the reason i bring this up is because um when it, it talks about like how people are kind of dominated by their fears how people can't um really achieve what they want in their relationships and their jobs because they uh, approach life from a, this perspective of scarcity, that there's not going to be enough. And the reason I bring this all up is because I think for music writers and music fans, we are operating from a very fearful point of scarcity right now because publications are folding. Uh, artists are no longer able to tour. Um, labels are folding. Uh, streaming is dominating things. And I think everyone's just kind of concerned about like what the future might hold. And I think a side effect of that is um, a lot of music criticism or music fandom is kind of built into 
like music industry, uh, <laughs> like music industry genuflection to power. Like if you read any sort of music history, uh, you you get the sense that like the it's it's impossible to fight the kids. Like the kids are going to set the agenda, uh, and not the you know the the music critics in their thirties. But I think there's too often a reactive uh, relationship to it. Like for example, like with TikTok, um, I do think that's going to be something that uh, affects music and pop trends going forward in a very profound way. But I also get the sense that there's a sense of defeatism amongst music fans or music writers where it's like, well, there's no point in trying to contest this. Like the album's going to be dead. Uh, We're just going to consume one minute songs. And this, you know, this is a good thing. I welcome our TikTok overlords. And um, what I see, what I think we saw a little bit of this with like movies in 2020, where people like movies that would have been probably widely praised, like Tenet or Wonder Woman 1984, when people really got the sense that they don't have to follow along and genuflect to power and like you know you know jo- can't if you can't beat them join them. They 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 the criticism against it was like pretty strong, and I'm wondering if we're gonna see. Um, rather than uh, this scarcity mindset where we have to, you know, treat the Grammys as the most important thing, where we have to think it's a necessarily a good thing that albums are being destroyed or that streaming uh, is the main source. Uh, people more willing to, um, you know, criticize those in power. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I'm it, hoping, yeah, it's, it's just maybe not so much like the... Uh, roll with the winners mindset because like I, 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 I want to bring like maybe the 2002 mindset where you can like say, Hey mate, major label albums. Like uh, maybe they kind of suck. I don't know, but, um, well, and also, I mean, I think, you know, just go back to your point. Cause I think everything you said, I, I agree with everything you just said, by the way. And Good. that thing you said about, <laughs> <laughs> about, uh, you know, the, the fear of you know people in the media about the future and like sort of automatically sort of capitulating to anything that comes down the line that is perceived to be associated with youth culture i think there's fear and i think that but i also think there's like a lot of vanity in the media class like where media uh, people don't want to ever be be perceived as old or out of touch yeah so they overcompensate sometimes by like over embracing these things and acting like they're an expert on it when they're really not and I feel like with TikTok, I don't necessarily want to read people in their 40s talking about that. I think if people are – because I, I, I do believe, I do agree that's important. That should be covered. And it should be covered by people who are of that generation and are of that world, not coming at it from the outside. I think that is probably the best way to go. Not to say that like older people can't get into it or understand it, but I just think that generally speaking – the best kind of writing about that is going to come from people who are of that world and yeah. aren't coming at it from like a perspective of, of fear or like, again, vanity, like where, again, you're the Steve Buscemi gif with like the skateboard <laughs> over your back and like, you know, hello kids or hello young people, that whole thing. Um, because yeah, I agree. And, you know, you mentioned like, you know, there's been conversations about like TikTok is that going to destroy the album I actually just wrote a column about this like hmm. I wrote a a mailbag column someone asked me if I, if I thought that social media platforms and TikTok are going to destroy the album and I said no because when I was a tween 
I tape songs off the radio and I yeah. dubbed CDs from my friends and I parceled them down to, in, into individual songs that I liked because I was a kid and I had a short attention span and I didn't want to listen to albums. And then I got a little bit older and guess what? Like I changed, you know, <laughs> and it's like the kids who are on TikTok now, they're not going to necessarily be on TikTok forever. I don't know what they're going to go to next, but like those people are going to be old someday too. And they may not want to listen to one minute songs anymore. They might want to listen to like 20 minute jazz songs, you know, <laughs> yeah, all, people also, change how, over time. You know, how and hard like, was so, it to fast forward through fitter, happier in 1997, you know, <laughs> like you, it was very easy to skip songs back then too. <laughs> well, it's like, I mean, as long as I've been listening to albums, people have been talking about the death of the album, you know, yeah. in the eighties, it was home taping in the nineties. It was skipping around on a CD in the aughts. It was iTunes, how you could buy an individual track and you had your iPod with like the iPod shuffle. And of course, people were pirating songs at that time. So, like, you didn't have to buy albums. You could just go, you know, on the internet and download whatever you wanted. So, people always talk about the death of the album in the context of technology, but like, albums still exist for the same reason that movies still exist because yeah. artists want to make movies, artists want to make albums. You know, they care about the art form. And the, even if they know that people, like, even if you're a filmmaker, you're, you're Christopher Nolan, you make Tenet. He knows that people are going to watch that movie on a phone, okay? But he's still going to make a grand movie to be seen in the cinema because that's what he wants to make. He's an artist. If it were just about the marketplace, yeah, movies wouldn't exist. Albums wouldn't exist. You know, it would all just be lowest common denominator, dumbed down bullshit, you know? That's all there would be. But it's not just about the marketplace, you know? You have to consider the intentions of artists as well. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not going anywhere. And yeah, I agree with you. Let's let's less genuflecting at the tech bros ruining art. All right. So anyway, end of my rant there. See, I rant on this show too. Someone earlier said that you rant on this show, but I I also rant (laughs) sometimes. Okay. Anyway, our last resolution is going to concern album we hope comes out in 2021. This is probably the part of the show where it's like, the Ian Cohen core, Stephen Hyden core (laughs) part of the episode. I think before we go into our individual choices here, we have to make a a joke about the Wrens. Like, we're hoping that the Wrens record comes out (laughs) this year. Who knows if it will? Actually, I mean, it's not a joke. We do hope it comes out, but who knows if it actually will. Yeah, they're they're still like, it's just so incredible to, to witness like, them talking about their mastering process and how they're still tweaking and every like tweaking like EQ and whatnot and like to uh, I I just hope it comes out maybe I I, I it, it's hard to, like because the the Meadowlands the reason that that was such a um you know uh, such a emotionally compelling record was that they put all of their travails and failures and disappointments in the lyrics. And, you know, we just didn't really know what was going on between Sea Caucus and the Meadowlands. But, like, that we've been seeing the step-by-step process of this album. Uh, I wonder if it's just going to be kind of deflating when it actually exists. Um, it, oh, I don't, don't know. say I that. Ju- uh, I, He'll never I'm, put I'm, it out now. He'll never yeah. put it out. You just Great. said that. He's like, oh, well, well, Ian Cohen thinks it'll be deflating if I put this out. Uh, putting it yeah. back in the shelf. He was probably just about to press like send on the record. <laughs> and then he heard this podcast 
and he's like, oh, forget it. So aside from the Wrens, what uh, what album or albums do you hope come out this year? Well, uh, when I was thinking about this, there are albums that I'm excited for. Um, I think that now I don't know anything about these albums beyond like what you could probably read on Twitter. Like, for example, Foxing or The World is a Beautiful Place and I'm No Longer Afraid to Die. Like, I think those albums are going to come out. They've been talking about them that they're in the mixing or mastering phase. And even though like a lot of their tweets may signify a band on the verge of breaking up, we're going to see those albums in 2021. Like I would say there's like a 98% chance of those things happening. Um, But as far as like albums that I'm kind of like selfishly hoping for just to maybe make things interesting, I am fascinated to see how Arcade Fire react to everything now, or just the kind of general downturn of their perception um, I think the time has come. I know Wynn Butler had said like they've been working on a lot of music in New Orleans. Um, am I excited? I'm excited for it as like someone who really finds the Arcade Fire very meaningful, but just as like from a rubbernecker sort of standpoint, like how they react to it. Cause I don't think, I, I don't know, maybe they're like at an Interpol phase of their lives where they just put out an album and it's like important <laughs> to a certain amount of people, but it's not really moving the culture. Also, I thought of, it's it's amazing that we I don't think we've talked about this band a lot on this um, podcast, but you know it's been four years since the last Japan Droids album, and you know they're not oh, on man. Twitter. We don't hear a peep from them. Is it possible they've released their last album and I maybe you know have heard everything they have to say? Perhaps, but um, I just wonder what they do every single like what does Brian King do every single day like uh, if he's not on the road and not writing music I know they take a long time to write songs but um, I would I, I would get the sense that either they're gonna create this like big proggy um, double album sort of thing or just make a really raw punkish record um, I don't know maybe like I would I would have assumed that they would put out something but their quality control is so high that they might not put out anything ever until touring's yeah. happening and the last like thing i like to think that japan droids don't actually take a long time to write songs they just like wait to the last minute like on their deadline and then just write an <laughs> album like in an afternoon and, and then it comes out like they like they sit around for five years and then like they bash out a record like in a day <laughs> i mean that's like kind of like what 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 he, what what Brian has talked about in his interviews is that like it takes them like months to write a song they actually like. So um, that's crazy. It might be the maybe that's just part of like um you know their 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 legend. But you know, lastly, I would like to see either a Frank like a Frank Ocean or a Kendrick Lamar album, just so we can kind of test what we were talking about earlier in the episode, like whether the 2010s are really over. Because if either of those two release an album that just doesn't uh meet the same acclaim as the ones before then maybe we get the sense that we have moved on but also i just love them as artists and i want to hear what they have to say about you know the past several years so oh yeah um, especially kendrick yeah. very excited yeah. to hear a kind because of, damn came out what like 2017 so that's that was I yeah think. that was yeah i would say april to yeah it was not it was pretty i was still in kentucky so it was definitely the first half of 2017 and he's i mean I also think there's a possibility of him releasing a whack album, so that's oh, exciting yeah. I, to me. Like, I think he, either he, one of them, yeah. Could, like I, I feel like with either one of them, it's going to be either great or like pretty disappointing. Yeah, you know, it's, or it like, seem a, like there's a lot of like middle middle ground. ground. 
To go back to like to the Arcade Fire thing, I, I'm going to second that just for the content for this podcast. Like uh, Arcade Fire <laughs> album, talking about an indie cast. I'm very excited for that. So yeah, I hope that happens. Um, as far as the album or albums, I hope that come out. Like, look, no big surprise. The War on Drugs is at the top of my list for this. Uh-huh. Uh, they've been uh, sort of hinting that a record is going to be coming out uh, for a while now. Actually, Adam, I remember, I think like back in March or April, was like sharing songs on Instagram from the uh-huh. new record that were pretty awesome sounding. I mean, they're only about 30 seconds, I think, of each song. I think he's probably still tinkering with that record too, but I would expect that album to come out this year unless they hold that for a tour i don't know but hopefully that comes out this year also got to say another stephen hyden favorite earlier referenced in this episode (laughs) in connection to me father john misty uh who i'm i believe i've heard through the grapevine that his record's been done for like a year and he he, and he's just been sitting on it so i assume that's going to come out you know sometime this year we'll be very excited for that that will also be great content for this episode as, as, as well as other things. So excited for that. Hope that he comes back to doing interviews too. I, I, yes. I've said this many times. It seems like he's like gone on lockdown uh, for interviews like for a while now. I would expect that if he does come back to interviews, it won't be you know the pure comedy uh, interview cycle anymore. I think he learned his lesson with that, unfortunately, because <laughs> that's one of my that's one of my favorite album cycles of like the last several years. I know a lot of people were irritated by that, but to go back to what we were saying before, you know, you were talking about Black Midi, 1975, put Arcade Fire in there. Father John Misty's another one. These are fun artists to talk about, you know, yes, because people hate them or they love them, and uh, mm-hmm. we need more people like that that are just fun to argue about. So uh, I hope all these things happen in 2021. All right, we've now reached the part of the episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I recommend something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? All right, so... Um, you know, I, with with this recommendation, um, it's not it's not going to be someone obscure, but I just have to get, talk about MF Doom. Um, uh, it's very rare where an artist's death like liter- like legitimately shakes me up, and you know, with with Doom, it could be partially because of how young he was when he died at forty nine. The fact that he had actually died on Halloween and it was just kept under wraps for two months, or the fact that it was announced on the last day of 2020, it was a very much like, a, well, can we just be done with this year sort of thing? But, you know, with MF Doom, um, he, it, it was, uh, on the one hand, it was just in, it, so exceedingly sad to see that happen. And also, um, anyone from the age of like 25 to 45 who likes rap was just posting MF Doom lyrics on Twitter like all day. Um, just a very formative artist in terms of ex- establishing, you know, like my sensibilities for hip hop or just really music in general. Um, and for a lot of people who may not have been, um, you know, following rap or alive maybe during his heyday, and I would say 2000 to 2004, um, 
you can hear his influence. Uh, I mean, Tom York was a huge fan, you know, like uh, Fortet or Burial. Uh, but also like a lot of the rap that happens now with like Earl Sweatshirt or Mike or Rock Marciano, even to a certain degree. Um, but I would recommend that if you're not familiar with Doom's catalog, which can be really intimidating because he put out so much music under different aliases for such a small period of time. Um, you know, to start with Mad Villainy, I mean, like that goes without saying, but uh, also at, mm, food or uh, vaudeville villain is Victor Vaughn or King Ghidra, uh, take me to your leader. Um, I think for anyone who's interested in, I, I guess the, the merger of indie rock culture or just like indie rock and hip hop, uh, those are just indispensable uh, works. And also um, Operation Doomsday as well. Um, though, like if you get started with any of those, um, I think you really owe it to yourself to become familiar with MF Doom, not just because he's like an important artist, but because it's just so enjoyable to listen to. Um, and it's it's just a throwback to a time where, you know, the Internet, as I knew it, was a bunch of a bunch of people like just quoting Doom lyrics on their blog spots. It was on the one hand, like an exceedingly sad time, but also just kind of poignant and bittersweet. So I have to give my tribute to MF Doom in the recommendation corner, even if it is someone who's uh, just such a uh, important, well-known artist. Yeah, I, I was going to say that, you know, obviously it's always incredibly sad when someone dies young. I think he was 49 yeah. uh, when he died that we know of anyway. I feel like there's so much mystery with him that he could have been older or younger, who knows. But um but it was like pretty heartwarming to see just the outpouring of love for this artist. You know, it's like one of those times where where you feel that like Twitter can actually be good. You know, yeah. <laughs> even if it's this sad occasion, uh just so much warmth and just people you know sharing joy and like love of music and, uh, and just like how genuine it was for him so as someone like myself like I, I i'm not well versed in his music at all but i was like really sort of uh i guess heartened to see all the enthusiasm that people had for him i thought that was great um i'm gonna be recommending this album called at the moon base by a band called slaughter beach dog this mm. record dropped uh, over the uh, the holiday break, I think it was on the 28th of December that this album came out. It's it's uh, it's the fourth record by this band. It's uh, at this point anyway. It's not really even a band. It's just one guy named Jake Ewald, who you might know from the uh, crucial 2010 era emo band Modern Baseball, a band that is are they officially <laughs> broken up or just on hiatus? Oh gosh, you're ne- I. Mean, they, I, I... <sighs> I I would say a very much hiatus. I mean, you know, Jake's made more Slaughter Beach Dog albums than Modern Baseball albums. So, yeah, I, I do not see them coming back anytime soon. Yeah, well, you never know. Hopefully they'll get yeah. the reunion dollars in like 2030 or something. But for now, Jake is putting out these Slaughter Beach Dog records. And the latest one, I think, is like probably my favorite. I feel like each with each record he gets better as a writer and I think just sonically the records there's just more to them they're more filled out this record has like a lot of great touches to it like some really cool synth parts there's like a lot of saxophone on this record that like really works well it kind of reminds me of like like the way that Destroyer uses Mm -hmm. saxophone on Kaput it has this sort of like soft rock glamorous feel but like it's done in a straightforward way like it's not a joking 
thing. At least it doesn't sound that way to me. Like there's an actual sort of genuine sense of like splendor, I think, to a lot of these songs. And and Jake, to me, like he's really evolving, I think, into this songwriter. And he and he had this element in modern baseball as well. But like I I just feel like he's become like a really great storyteller in his mm-hmm. lyrics. And I would say that if you're not familiar with his records, that if you're a fan of like, say like the hold steady or like, like I know when we were talking about this record, you talked about like the weaker thens being mm-hmm. an influence like to you, a pretty obvious influence on this band, you know, like a lot of times he's basically just like talking over like these sort of instrumental beds and like just telling stories about like, you know, young people involved in like various stages of distress, I guess you could say, <laughs> you know, these sort of like, you know, great stories again in the, in the matter that you might get, you know, from a hold steady or a Craig Finn solo record. Um, and I've just been enjoying it a lot. And, uh, you know, this is a record that like, it came out at the end of 2020, but like, I'm going to consider it a 2021 album, Yeah, uh, you know, for me. Uh, and it's definitely like one of the, it, it's probably like the first album that I've heard of this year that like, I really, really like, um, I guess not counting. I, I guess there's the wild pink record too, that, I feel like that came out a long time ago, but it came out a long time ago for us. I've had it since July. Not for the public. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah, It comes out, um, you know, this spring for for everybody else. But there's some other good records coming down the pike as well. Uh, But yeah, like if you like, uh, you know, sort of like fractured Heartland Rock Mm -hmm. with like really cool storytelling lyrics, I think this record will be up your alley. It's called At the Moon Base, and the band is called Slaughter Beach Dog. Yeah, it's very much like you said, like a I would post emo in the sense that you get artists like John K. Sampson or uh, David Bazan, like after they stop making their like more overtly emo music, they kind of move more towards a singer songwriter sort of mold where, you know, you can ha- like kind of sleeve tattoo craft beer sort of lifestyle. But nonetheless, you still get the. It's a band that like evolves along with its fan base, and you know I think that he it is the best Slaughter Beach Dog record. Yeah, I think that we're gonna see Jake put out Slaughter Beach Dog albums like every year or something like that. He he just seems like someone who uh, creates you know just out of habit and um, will continue to evolve and you know establish himself as. Yeah, I think that it's not going to it's not going to exceed modern baseball in terms of influence because like the way people talk about that band like you just can't replicate that but um I think Slaughter Beach Dog is going to esta- like be established as it's a very much its own thing. I think it's already well, has but it's going I just to like of this have analogy. its own Uh-huh. I, I just thought of this analogy. Can we say that modern baseball is Uncle Tupelo and this is Wilco? It what you know what when I interviewed Jake for that last album he said that like he was kind of shocked and a little bit embarrassed that he be- already became a Wilco fan because he used to think they were like such a boring band but now he's like yeah I actually kind of like Wilco so, and he was like See? I think twenty six at the time well so, and, and I'm and I'm sure by now he loves Wilco if he's like approaching yeah. thirty he's like fully in the Wilco camp and I was yeah. just thinking too like you know because there were like two. Yeah, songwriters in modern baseball. Uh, whether you like modern baseball or not, I think you know. I think fans of that band are naturally going to be drawn to Slaughter Beach Dog. But even if you didn't like modern baseball or you don't know who they are, I think you can also get into this band. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Uh, that does it for this episode of IndieCast. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with more hashing out of trends and reviewing albums and all that jazz next week. 
And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. 